From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. Last year, the federal court found the Environment Minister has a duty of care to young Australians when making decisions regarding climate change. This month, that decision was overturned. But for the teenagers involved in the case, it's not the end. Today, Anjali Sharma on her fight for action on climate change. It's Monday, March 28th. So maybe could you start by just introducing yourself? Yeah, sure. So I'm Anjali Sharma. I'm 17 years old and I'm the lead litigant in the Sharma versus Environment Minister class action against the Federal Environment Minister of Australia. And so do you mind taking me back to whenever it was when you first started to think about climate change and become aware of just how big the problem of it is? It's strange because I've always really been around isolated incidents that link very closely with climate change. Um, My family originates from India, which is a country that is equatorial. Um, It's been ravaged in recent years by floods, by natural disasters that have displaced many, many people. In fact, India is one of the countries with the highest rates of climate refugees in the world. But, you know, growing up, you never really make that link with this is what's happening to my family and this is also climate change. In school, at that age, around 12 or 13, you learn about the importance of recycling, you learn about, you know, all the little things that you can do to be sustainable, but you never really learn about the large scale problem. So I remember doing, you know, deep dives into YouTube. What exactly is climate change and why should we care? The only conditions modern humans have ever known are changing and changing fast. The natural order is being turned upside down. Millions of people are at risk and learning about the fact that, you know, it was so essential to limit warming to 1.5 degrees and that the ice caps were melting and all these stats. And it it really showed me just how large the problem was and how these isolated incidents weren't actually isolated, but kind of a larger part of something that needed to be tackled head on. Mm. And can you tell me how you got from, I guess, understanding that there was a problem to actually realising that there was something that you could do about it, some action that you could take? When I started, you know, taking it upon myself to learn about climate action, um, I started a small little Instagram account, which it actually got pretty big. It got 12,000 followers, um, but I would make tiny little infographics just um, breaking down the climate crisis and all those little stats that I talked about. And through like targeted Instagram ads, I found out about school strike for climate. Young people have turned out in droves, skipping school to strike for their future and call for action on climate change. Many skip the classroom to climb into the city, joining millions of people all around the world in the biggest protest yet over the state of our planet. They were holding an open organising meeting, so I went along. I started organising the strikes. Um, The first one that I organised was in September 2020, which was... Um, coincidentally, one of the biggest climate strikes that Melbourne has had. I think the crowd reached about 200,000 on September the 20th, 2020. I guess it's our future and we're just trying to do our part. It's empowering, honestly, to know that, like, we all come together, use our voices. People don't understand that if we ruin the planet now, there won't be a planet for the future. So we're here to try to prevent that from happening. And it was... Through that, that I networked with people who got me involved in this amazing class action that I am so grateful to be leading. 
And so could you describe the class action that you became a part of, what the intention of it was? So this class action is me and eight other litigants under the age of 18 by representation of our litigation guardian, um, who is a nun, um, Sister Bridget Arthur, um, bringing a class action to the federal court saying that the federal environment minister, as part of her portfolio, has the responsibility to protect all young children under the age of 18 from the impacts of climate change. Izzy Raj Seppings is one of eight teenagers who have teamed up in a legal challenge against Minister Susan Lee. We're trying to get the Federal Environment Minister to prevent the Vickery coal mine from going ahead because we believe... And what this case was built around was the proposed by the federal government to expand the Vickery coal mine, the already existing Vickery coal mine in regional New South Wales. And this extension project would have potentially increased the emissions of Australia and burnt an extra 100 million tonnes of carbon dioxide. We're filing for an injunction to stop the Federal Environment Minister from being able to approve this Vickery coal mine. So it's just about this one project, but it could create precedent that can stop future... I really feel like it's, you know, not a lot to ask. I feel like it's not something that should be legislated in the first place, but really a given that, yeah, she's a politician, yeah, she has to care about children, but... Um, nonetheless, that was our goal to write it into Australian climate law that it was a legal requirement that she must consider the impacts of climate change on children before undertaking any actions as part of her portfolio. Mm. And so last year, that class action made it to the federal court and it was successful. The court ultimately decided that it, it is in the duty of the government to protect and and take care of children um, from a future personal injury due to climate change. Can you describe the moment of that win? Day of the judgment actually really snuck up on me. I remember logging into it in economics class because it was held in Sydney and um, I'm down here in Melbourne. And it felt so surreal when the judge was saying that he had accepted the duty of care. The court is satisfied that a duty of care should be recognised. Accordingly, the court has determined that the minister has a duty of care to take reasonable care not to cause the children personal injury when exercising her power under section 130 and 133. I didn't believe it. You know, I had to message the legal team who were all up in Sydney asking them to decode the legal jargon and, you know, is it actually true? Have we actually won? The law now recognises that the environment minister is in a special position of power to prevent foreseeable harms to young people. I feel elated by this decision and this is not over. I was filled with so, so much optimism when it was confirmed, yes, we'd actually won. It is a historic judgment. The court has found that the minister owes a duty of care to younger children, to, to vulnerable people. It was just such a surreal and happy couple of days that it gave me so much hope and so much motivation to just, I guess, keep pushing for more direct action. But the next week, I think it was, when we found out that the environment minister had published a statement saying that she had intent to appeal and that she believed she had grounds to appeal. It was, it was really disheartening. It felt like a slap in the face. We'll be back in a moment. For Sloane Crosley, writing about the loss of a friend may not have provided catharsis, but it did allow for the possibility of a better ending. 
Like you have this amazing meal that's this friendship and then you have a really, 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 really bad dessert with shards of glass in it. And then like the book is like, you know, those little chunks of chocolate that come with the bill. I'm Michael Williams. Join me for this week's episode of Read This as I talk to Sloane Crosley about her latest Grief is for People. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. As a a 7am listener, you value the story behind the headlines. That's why you should read Post, a free daily newsletter bringing you the top five news stories of the day, summarising each of their key points with links to full articles from a range of sources. Get the news you need to your inbox every weekday morning with Post. Sign up at thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash newsletters. Angeli, last week the federal court's decision was overturned on appeal. You were there in court, is that right, when it happened? Can you describe it to me? I was in court and it was such an angry and devastating day. The federal court ruling was unanimous. Three judges on the full bench agreed that while the evidence of climate change was undisputed, as well as the dangers to the world and humanity, the Environment Minister should not be held personally accountable to protecting children against its impact. The moment when we heard the judge say he had decided not to impose this duty of care You almost heard it, you know, just all the hearts in that room just broke together. (laughs) Tears and anger. Absolutely appalling! That was the response of young people outside the federal court today. We'd worked so, so hard and we'd gotten further than we had thought would happen. And, you know, there it was kind of just overturned as if it had never existed in the first place. Chief Justice James Elsop argued the proposed duty of care meant the court was straying too far into questions of policy. This judgment... The day was incredibly draining. It was incredibly devastating having to go out to the media and say, we'll be back, but not really knowing if we'd have even the strength to go through that whole process again. But I can say that a week on, it's only hardened our resolve, I guess, to keep going until our vision of this duty of care is a reality. Mm. And I know you have touched on this a bit, but are you able to just, I guess, outline for me what your fears are about what this decision means for the climate crisis? It feels like we were at a point where we were gathering so much momentum. You know, strikes had been getting hundreds of thousands of people onto the street and poll after poll was showing that the people want climate action and There was a string of Climate 200 independents who were pushing for exactly that. And, you know, every every major party was conceding at one point that some sort of climate action was needed. Even Scott Morrison said himself that Australia was becoming more and more livable. It felt like we were finally getting to that point where the country couldn't keep dragging its feet any longer. And then this happened. And now it feels like all of that momentum is just ground to a halt. This just opens the floodgates. It gives the government grounds to approve more and more fossil fuel projects and coal-fired power plants and gas pipelines. And it gives them an excuse, essentially, which is what I fear, um, because I don't think they need another excuse that, you know, here we are. Mm, And so what are your options now as you see it? What are you planning on doing? There's always more avenues, you know, the fight doesn't stop here, whether will be able to appeal or not we're still unsure because we are still reviewing the judgment and seeing what grounds there are to potentially appeal no matter how many times we get knocked back by a court or no matter how many times the government tells us to go back to school or um, how many people judge us and you know say that we're self-entitled say that um, you know we're misinformed 
it's not going to deter us. We know that there's more to be done, um, whether we'll be striking, whether we'll be back to the courts, the fight for climate action won't stop. Mm. And when people ask you why it is that you're engaged in this fight and where your resolve, I suppose, comes from to continue with it, what do you say to them? That's the biggest misunderstanding I feel about this whole thing is that it's not an extracurricular activity. It's not something I've taken on because, you know, the stresses of U12 weren't enough. It's a fight that's always been about the people and it's a fight that's always had the safety and the vulnerability of marginalised communities and of people who are on the front lines at its very heart. That's what drives me every day, seeing the images of people on their roofs waiting for the SES to rescue them. And my family in India has, you know, been affected by climate-related disasters, but me personally, that's something that I've never had to go through and I dread the day that I will have to. I want this vision of safety for the future to not just be a vision. I want it to be guaranteed and I want it to be a reality. And I see that as just as important as, you know, the studies that I do learning about calculus or the causes of the French Revolution. I see it as essential to guaranteeing my future and the future of my family, my friends and everyone who matters to me. Mm. Andalee, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Sloane Crosley is known for her funny and acerbic personal essays, but her new memoir digs much deeper to examine the loss of her best friend. Join me, Michael Williams, as I chat with Sloane about Grief is for People. Find it wherever you listen. Also in the news today, in a speech in Poland, the US President Joe Biden has condemned the Russian President Vladimir Putin, saying he cannot remain in power. This is the clearest America has been in backing regime change in Moscow since the invasion of Ukraine. Biden said that Putin was a butcher and that the West must prepare for a long fight ahead. And Prime Minister Scott Morrison has defended his decision not to meet with the new Chinese ambassador to Australia. Morrison maintains that to do so would have been a demonstration of weakness. The new ambassador instead met with Foreign Minister Maurice Payne and Shadow Foreign Minister Penny Wong. Historically, Prime Ministers, including Tony Abbott and Malcolm Turnbull, have met with incoming Chinese ambassadors. I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. See you tomorrow.